Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 19 in your Bibles, please. Jeremiah 19. Let me read the first six verses and then we'll pray for our study and get right into it. Jeremiah 19 verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Go and get a potter's earthen flask. And take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests. And go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potsherd gate. And proclaim there the words that I will tell you. And say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. Because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place. In other words, a foreign or a strange place. Don't get any ideas. This isn't Area 51. Because they have forsaken me and made this an alien, foreign, strange place. Because they have burned incense in it to other gods whom neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known. And have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. Shall we, shall we pray? Father, we ask for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit this evening. We desire first and foremost, Lord, to be purified by your Spirit. Our hearts, our minds, and the very depths of our lives be cleansed. That we may be ready receptacles and ready hearers and receivers of your word. Father, we pray that as we hear these things tonight, that, that we understand that it is your desire to change our hearts to make us more into the image of Christ to make us more into those vessels of righteousness and of holiness that you want us to be in these last days as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching God, I I pray, Father, that we will take to heart not only this teaching as academic information, but that it truly stirs us and awakens us to the calling you have for each and every one of your children to be light and salt in this earth. This we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can a simple sermon be costly to a preacher or a prophet? 
Think about the question. Can a simple sermon be costly to a preacher or a prophet? There are certainly countless examples of men and women of God in the scriptures who have spoken the very words of God to a rebellious and disobedient Israel only to find themselves at the receiving end of the defiant people's ire and hostility. The climax to the hall of faith that is found in Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a small glimpse at the cost of being a faithful servant of the Lord and His Word. Turn to Hebrews for, mo- for just a moment and, and look at this last section of Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 32. We've heard uh, of Abraham and Sarah and Moses and, and so many others in this hall of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. But then Paul says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. And, and oh, by the way, there are some people in this hall of faith that we wouldn't consider ourselves to put in there. But God did. Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Notice now, after that sentence, the next phrases. And others were tortured. Look carefully at what it says here. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Were tempted. Were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. That is probably one of the greatest phrases in the Bible ever spoken or written about human beings that are servants of God. Men and women who were tortured for their faith, stoned for their faith, sawn in in half for their faith, being destitute, in other words, losing everything of this world, afflicted and tormented, more than we could ever imagine ourselves, but yet it says of whom the world was not worthy. The world wasn't worthy of these people. Because you see, these people didn't live as citizens of this world. They lived as citizens of the kingdom of God, as we should as well. 
It says they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a, a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us, so that really all of us together can share in the promise which we already have received. You see, they look to the promise, we look from the promise. We've received the promise, we have Jesus Christ. So as we shall see in chapter 20, we're not there yet, but as we shall see in chapter 20 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's sermon in chapter 19 would cost him heavily. A beating. And a night in stocks. I like to say a night in stocks and bonds, but not financially. He was in stocks and bonds, chained, for a night. We'll see that as we get there in the next chapter. But he was also there with a battered heart. A heart that felt deceived by God himself. But why bring this up now? Why speak of this now? As we just begin chapter 19. And what does all of this have to do with our current study of chapter 19? Well, simply this. That we who love God and love His Word need to be faithful and we need to continue to be faithful. Not just need to be faithful, we need to continue to be faithful in presenting His full truth and nothing but the truth, especially to a generation that may not have much time left in getting right with God. Because that's where we are today. We have to be faithful and continue to be faithful in presenting His full truth and nothing but the truth, especially to a generation that may not have much time left in getting right with God, no matter what the criticism or the disdain of the world to the things of God might be. No matter what the world says about our calling, we need to be faithful to God's truth. And we need to be faithful to God's Word. And I say that because Jeremiah was faithful to God's word. Isaiah was faithful to God's word. The prophets were faithful to God's word. The apostles were faithful to God's word. And many of the disciples of the apostles and following them have been faithful to God's word. And it's reached us and we need to stay faithful in it. I'm sorry to say that much of the scriptures have been changed and, and reinterpreted and, and re, uh, give, uh, given uh, all kinds of other uh, interpretations that have nothing whatsoever to do with what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation. We need to come back to God's full truth in His Word. I know I said this before on Wednesday night, I'm probably preaching to the choir. But I have to believe in my heart the Lord will allow me the opportunity to let the whole congregation of this church know that. I hope and pray I do. Because the time is short. You see, there, were, there was one, re, one of the reasons Paul, and, and this is one of the reasons that Paul, in his last letter to Timothy, would encourage his son in the faith to be diligent in proclaiming the gospel truth. 
Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 in the King James Version says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now the New King James says, Be diligent. Well, I like to say, Be diligent to study. <laughs> to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I have nothing to be ashamed of in presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ from this pulpit on Sunday, on Saturday, on Wednesday, or whatever night God gives me the opportunity. And that's not a boast of myself because my confidence is not in me. My confidence is in the Lord. And my my confidence is in God's word. The fact of the matter is, if we don't study, then we can be ashamed. And that's not just to Timothy and to Paul and to preachers and to pastors but to everyone who is called, because we are called to equip you with the word of God so you can be a a, a vessel of God and of his word. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 in the New King James, it says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. You can't get any simpler than that. And yet you can't get any more profound. Preach the Word. What Word? The Word of God. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, those are the times that we live in today. People are not enduring sound doctrine. They don't want to hear what the Gospel and what the Word of God has to say about getting our lives right and getting them right before God and living that way before the world. They don't want that kind of message. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It matters what God says. Especially through his disciples who, are, who were inspired to do what they did in writing these words. Like Paul. He goes on, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth. We turn aside to fables, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, he says. Take the afflictions that you saw in Hebrews chapter 11 and, and place that in this little, this little uh, statement or phrase, endure afflictions, and ask yourself, are there people today who are going around saying to you, you don't need to suffer, God wants to give you everything that you, know, you can have and be living with everything that you want in this life. That doesn't add up to what the scripture says about how we need to live in these last days before Jesus comes. And I'm not saying, you know, go out and give everything away unless God tells you. What I'm saying is we need to interpret God's word right. He says, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And Paul was one who knew what it was to endure afflictions. 2 Corinthians 11. You've seen this list before. Verses 23 through 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Is Paul a criminal? No, he's a preacher of the gospel. But for preaching the gospel, he ends up in prison. Notice, from the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles. In other words, I'm in perils of the Jews and the Gentiles. In perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the seas, or sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Oh, besides other things, what comes upon me daily... My deep concern for all the churches. You see, both Jeremiah and Paul were told early on in their ministries that they would face tough situations and circumstances. They were both told that. For Paul in Acts chapter 9 verses 15 and 16 to the Ananias who who was the man who, who took Paul in when he was blind after he had seen the Lord and spoken to the Lord and, and was changed and converted by, uh, by speaking to the Lord. But it says the Lord said to Ananias, Go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name uh, before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I will show him how much he'll suffer. Jeremiah received a very similar kind of thing. Jeremiah 119 says they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. But notice, don't forget the first, the first phrase. They will fight against you. They will come against you. But they shall not prevail against you, for I'm with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Now, that's the promise that Jeremiah had. And this is why I started with this, because at the end of this sermon that we're going to study tonight, we're going to find Jeremiah at a point, as we enter into the next chapter, getting beaten and suffering affliction. But anyway, time and again, Paul, as Paul was faithful in the preaching of the gospel, Jeremiah proved to be faithful as well in presenting God's truth, the truth of impending judgment to Judah and to Jerusalem. He obeyed the Lord implicitly when it came time to act out the pictures and the illustrations that the people needed to see of that which would happen to them due to their idolatry and their rebellion. You see, Jeremiah, without hesitation, went to a potter's house to observe the potter at work with his clay so that the Lord could illumine his mind to the reality that God is to Israel as the potter is to the clay. We studied that a couple of weeks ago in chapter 18. And the lesson that we saw of this, of course, was, was God's divine sovereignty and God's providence. God in control. And, you, and yet, even at the same time, God being in control, He was able and, and had the right to deal with a people that He said be obedient, and if they weren't obedient, to cut them off. In essence, really to discipline them. God has every right to do that. And, this, and in this presentation, there was also an appeal for the people to repent. So in the presentation that God is sovereign, that God is the potter, we're the clay, nonetheless, there is that appeal to repent. Verse 11 of chapter 18. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. But notice these words, Return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. God gave every opportunity, every opportunity for them to repent and turn back. But God being God knew that they wouldn't. 
But this was something that also gave Jeremiah comfort because Jeremiah felt for his people. He felt a, a, a burden for his people. He didn't want them to have to suffer. But after chapter 18, he said, Lord, if, you know, they're in your hands. When did he say that? When he heard of the plot that they were coming against him to kill him. Lord, you take care of them. So you know what I'm doing right now? It's a little review. Okay. Because you keep thinking, when are we going to get into chapter 19? Almost. So as the last part of chapter 18 made clear, the people were hardened in their unnaturalness of their sin. Do you remember what the unnaturalness was? It was unnatural for a people that were created by God and loved by God to turn from Him and go after other gods and idols. It was as unnatural as somebody who was thirsty to walk away from a pool or to walk away from, from, from where a great source of water was. How unnatural is that? And so the people were hardened in this unnaturalness of their sin, leading them to plot against Jeremiah's life again. And it brings us now to our text for this evening, which actually contains a contrast to the presentation of the potter in chapter 18. Because you see, the message in chapter 19 is the exact opposite of that in the previous parable, being the potter and, 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 the, uh, and the clay. In chapter 18, Jeremiah taught that the damaged vessel could be reclaimed. Remember when he, it was marred and he redid it and made another vessel? That was in chapter 18. In chapter 19, it cannot be reclaimed. Why? Because it is hardened beyond what can be done with it. Notice in verses 1 through 3. Thus saith the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen flask. And take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests. And go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom. Which is by the entry of the potsherd gate. And proclaim there the words that I will tell you. And, and say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place, that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. And that's not a tingle like, ooh, you know. What it meant was they would hear, their ears would, 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 uh, would only hear the sounds of, of judgment. At the Lord's command... Jeremiah made a second visit now to the potter's house. But this time he doesn't go as a spectator or an observer. He goes as a customer. He goes to get a vessel, an earthen flask. The, the word for flask there is, is it's an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's bakbuk. And, and it's the sound. It, it, it comes from the sound of how water pours out of a that's where they got the word. It's an interesting word. But he doesn't go alone this time. He takes some of the elders and the senior members of the priesthood with him. Elders of the people and elders of the priesthood. And this is significant because of the previous plots on his life made by the people of Judah against him. So it's certainly a, an indication that Jeremiah was indeed a man of prayer. And a man that trusted the Lord with all of his heart. To take people that would 
truly at this, even at this point in time, be an enemy of, of Jeremiah. But he went in obedience. And he did what he did in obedience to the Lord. Now these are important lessons to, to take, take hold of because this is not just in passing. How many of us, if the Lord told us, I want you to get your worst enemy and walk in front of him, oh Lord, let him walk in front of me. You understand? No, you do what God tells you. And this is what, this is what uh, Jeremiah was doing. So he then gathered these men at the valley of Ben-Hinnom, uh, the valley of the sun of Hinnom, near the Potsherd Gate. Now the Potsherd Gate is in the southern end of, of, of the old city of Jerusalem. And, and uh, it was actually called the Dung Gate. The Dung Gate. Why? Because it was the gate that you used to go through to take your garbage out. Out into the Valley of Hinnom. Out, you know, to get it away from the city. So it was, it, it was you know, down in, as it goes out into the valley. You didn't want it up, upstream. You wanted it downstream. So you got it away from the city. So you take this, this particular gate. But it was also called the, the Potsherd Gate because that was also the gate where the potters lived around. And they would take the, the old hardened clay that they couldn't work with anymore and they would just break it out in front of this gate and out past the gate of the city. So this is where Jeremiah takes these leaders. And these leaders would witness another action sermon uh, just as he had done before. Uh, Jeremiah had done something visually so that they could see what, was, what, uh, uh, what God was going to do to them. These leaders would witness this action sermon of Jeremiah, which was intended really to stir their hearts to personally repent. And then to lead the people to repentance and back to the Lord if, if that's what was going to happen. But why the, the gate by the valley of the son of Hinnom? Why that gate? Well, primarily because the site had become the center. At one time, it had become the center for false worship. And it was the dumping area. Now listen carefully. It was the dumping area where children were ritually sacrificed to the god Molech. Here he's called Baal, but it was the same god. The god Molech during the days of King Manasseh. They would actually, the, the, the Jews who had become idol worshippers would now take their own children and offer the children as sacrifices to this God. How far had these people gone from the Lord? I have to tell you that child sacrifice goes on today. Still does. Because if we as Christians believe that life begins a conception. And there are children inside of mothers' wombs. They're children. They're not fetuses so much as they are children. Because God has already seen them. God knows them. And God gave them life. And they're still people sacrificing their children to Molech in the 21st century.
The sad thing is that most of it is for convenience. You know, when abortionists cry out and they say, well, listen now, you know, we, we, try, we want to take care of people that, you know, they've been raped and they've had children through this and that, that kind of thing. Do you know what the percentage is of those? In, in some, in some um, polls that they've taken, it's less than 2%. Even one percent. So it doesn't. It, it's it's it, 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 you know the mind. Uh, boy, we could talk about this for a long time. I don't want to waste too much more time. It just makes you wonder. Man, we need to we need to wake up. God is still a God of life. He's not a God of death. Well, Jeremiah 9, verses 4 through 6. Because they've forsaken me and made this an alien place. I mean, it's a strange place because this is not what Jerusalem was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the city where God was to be honored and worshipped in the temple. It was the city of peace. It was a city of God. They have forsaken me and made this all alien place because they burned incense in it to other gods whom, they, whom, whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come to my mind. In other words, man, that thought never, even came, from, it never came from me. That's a tremendous statement that God is making. That kind of stuff isn't from me. Zero. You don't get that idea of sacrificing children from me. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that this place shall no longer be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom. Tophet, the word means uh, fireplace or hearth, but the valley of slaughter. By the way, the East Gate, because if you have a King James Version of the Bible, it says East Gate. And the word East, interestingly enough, is, is, is uh, a word that, that ties in directly to pottery. So interesting that uh, it's really not a, a different name. It's really the same name, East Gate or Potsard Gate. As I said before, where, it was where the potters worked and where their broken pottery was discarded. A potsherd was a piece of pottery used for scraping. And I have to, I have to kind of add this to, uh, to your picture of, of understanding that because, you know, in those days, you know, you didn't go down to a hardware store and, and buy, you know, utility knives or whatever. You know, if you had to scrape something and you used a pot shirt. That's how hard, by the way, the pottery was that was old and brittle and couldn't, couldn't be used again. Uh, Job chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Job used it for, his, for himself. Uh, it's an interesting thing here. It says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Uh, you, you know, if a person has one boil, it hurts to no end. Can you imagine having boils from, the, from your feet to your head? And what does it say in verse 8? And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. It hurts just to think about that. Can you imagine scraping with a piece of pottery, you know, just trying to scrape off a a boil? You know know what a boil is, right? A glorified pimple. 
with deep roots in it. Am I grossing you out yet? How many, how many of you know about boils? You know, maybe you've had a boil. Okay. Man, there's not too many people. I'm praying that you never get to have one. Because, man, they're painful things. So can you imagine Job scraping those? I can't. I just, I just had to share that with you. A potsherd is mentioned also by, by, by David in his messianic, messianically prophetic Psalm 22. When in verse 15 it says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You've brought me to the dust of death. Of course, the whole picture that David is drawing is that of Jesus suffering for us. His strength was dried up like a potsherd. So it gives you an idea that a piece of, of pottery like that was, was just unworkable in any other way. The only thing you could ever use it for was to scrape your boils. So the potsherd gate overlooked the valley of the son of Hinnom, which had become a burning garbage dump by King Josiah's orders due to the atrocities that had taken place there. Now, from the Hebrew, the word for the valley of the son of Hinnom, it was Geben Hinnom in, 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 the, uh, in the Hebrew. It had become, they had just shortened it, and it had become Gehenna. Gehenna. It is a word that is synonymous with hell. It is a word synonymous with hell. And so Gehenna always burned. Gehenna always burned. That was the dump where they took all their trash, where they took all the refuse. Everything went to Gehenna. And so the word Gehenna is now used as hell. It was there that Jeremiah turned the gate into a pulpit. And he declared impending disaster because of what the kings of Judah had done there. What had they done? They had forsaken God. They had worshipped idols. They had defiled the temple. They had murdered the innocent. They had offered their children to Baal or Molech. Its name would then be changed to the Valley of Slaughter. Why slaughter? Look at verses 7 through 9. And I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place. And I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hands of those who seek their lives. Their corpses I will give as meat for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. I will make this city desolate and a hissing. I mentioned this last week when we were dealing with, with the desolation, the hissing, the sound. You know, that, that sound was a sound of shame for Jerusalem. And everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss because of all its plagues. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. So you want to sacrifice them? Pretty soon that's all you're going to eat. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and in the desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. That is how Babylon would come to Judah and Jerusalem. That is how vicious they would come and treat the children of Israel and the children of Judah. The children of Judah in particular. Babylon would be the agent the Lord used to lay waste the counsel of the elders who who disproved or denied God's message through Jeremiah and continued in idolatry. The very same elders that were taken out to the potsherd gate and out into the valley of Hinnom. 
to see what Jeremiah was going to do with that earthen flask that he got from the potter's house. And the ultimate defilement here among the people would be the desecration of corpses. But you know, it's interesting, if it was the ultimate defilement, it got worse. The ultimate defilement was the birds and the wild beasts consuming the people's flesh. And if you remember back in Jeremiah 7 verse 33, it says the corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth and no one will frighten them away. It was already prophesied. This is just a second time that we see that. It was actually a third time because Jeremiah 9.22 says, Speak, thus saith the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as refuse on the open field, like cuttings after the harvester, and no one shall gather them. So, I, I, I mean, why, why three times now? Because the first time was to say, Repent! This is going to happen if you don't turn back to me. This is what's going to happen if you keep going your way. And then a second time, quit living that way. Quit doing these things. I'm the the God that created you. I'm the God that will bless you if you'll come back to me. And now this third time, to the very elders who have accepted all of of the messages of peace from the false prophets. And they said, nothing's going to happen to us. This is what Jeremiah is is doing before them because God will allow Jerusalem to be made an object of scorn the very city where he says this is where my name will be God would allow Jerusalem to be made an object of scorn of ridicule and of humiliation in order to vindicate his name you go back one chapter to uh, Chapter 18, verse 16, it says, To make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing, everyone who passes by will be astonished and shake his head. Astonished at the city that God said would be the place for his name forever. Laid waste. And the gruesome act of cannibalism that we just read about recalls the words of Deuteronomy 28, verse 53. It was in the Word of God. It was in the Law of God. It was in the Torah. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the fifth book. In the second presentation of the Law. Deuteronomy 28.53 You shall eat the fruit of your own body. The flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. It was prophesied hundreds of years before. Many hundreds of years before. And it would happen under the siege of Babylon. The Babylonian army. When they come to attack Judah. And at this point in the message, Jeremiah performed the symbolic act of God's judgment. Now comes the act. Now comes the lesson. The visual lesson. Verse 10, it says, Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Even so I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet till there is no place to bury. 
Thus I will do to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants, and make this city like Tophet, and the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses of the kings of Judah shall be defiled like the place of Tophet, because of all the houses on whose roofs they have burned incense to all the hosts of heaven, and poured out drink offerings to other gods. Whack! And he would just throw this earthen flask down with as much violence as this holy Jeremiah had in him to burst that flask in front of these leaders and to say, this is you for your disobedience to God, for your rebelliousness to God, for your worshiping of other, of other gods and not the one true God. The Lord would smash Judah and Jerusalem just as Jeremiah had smashed the flask. And like the flask, Judah would be beyond repair. That's what verse 11 says. Even so, I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel which cannot be made whole again. As one commentator put it, the nation was beyond discipline, beyond prayer, and now beyond repair. Beyond discipline, beyond prayer, and now beyond repair. The broken flask symbolized the certainty of God's coming judgment. As we've seen before, Scripture stresses the fact that it is God Himself who is pronouncing the coming judgment. It is God Himself. When His judgment did fall, the population was utterly decimated. So many people perished that there was no room in the valley to bury the dead. Can you imagine that? You know, we're running out of space in El Paso to to bury people. We may have to go out further out into the county to find places. All the landlocked cemeteries are pretty much full. Some funeral homes are encouraging uh, cremation, running out of space. But you know, there's more spaces for the living than for the dead. So can you imagine and picture then an area where there is more dead than living? And no place to bury whatsoever. And this was a very heavy thought because, you see, even to this day, Jews bury their dead within 24 hours. That just couldn't happen. It was a shameful thing. It was shameful then. It was shameful some 60 years ago, actually 70 years ago, when the Holocaust began. And by the end of that horrific event, 
nearly 7 million Jews had died. Many of them were moved along by bulldozers into big holes that were made for their bodies, which was really done to shame them by their destroyers. And it will be so again when we look at what is to come in the future for the nation of Israel. Is it any wonder why we are called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem every day? That's for God's mercy for his people. Because once again, the people are in the land. And once again, God is actively working on their behalf. But sad to say, when you read the prophecies of what yet is yet to take place, many Jews will perish still. And it's hard to hold that thought, being that we are looking at the future. It hasn't happened yet, yet it's happened in God's heart, well, God's mind, and in his word. You know, it's interesting that there was a custom among kings in the Near East to smash clay jars in a special ceremony before they went out to battle, symbolic of the total defeat of their enemies. It was used of Messiah in Psalm 2, verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Speaking of his enemies. And the place where God instructed Jeremiah to break the flask would play a role in the New Testament history as well. Because in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 10, it says, And Judas is betrayer, the betrayer of Jesus. Seeing that he had been condemned was remorseful and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? You see to it. He threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury. Here they are worried about law. (laughs) And they're... part of a murderous plot. It's not lawful to put them into the treasury because they're the, they're the price of blood, speaking of this money. And they consulted together and, and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. And therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. The word is akel dama. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying this would be in chapter 32 of Jeremiah. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. And then lastly, in Acts chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, a little parenthetical passage as to what happened. It says, now this man, speaking of uh, Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. Of course, he threw the money down. The Jews didn't want it. They took it and bought the field. So, you know, they they gave him the credit for buying the field. 
And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akildama, that is, field of blood. Field of blood. Gehenna, the valley of the son of Hinnom, was a place of slaughter because of their disobedience to God. It tells us that they would go on their roofs and burn incense to the hosts of heaven. Jerusalem's once beautiful dwellings would be reduced to rubble, all because the people would go onto their flat roofs and offer incense to, to, to the stars, actually, the hosts of heaven. Because you see, a part of that, that uh, idolatrous religion was, was uh, astrology. But they would do that rather than to offer prayers of thanksgiving and praise to the one true creator God as, as Peter did at the house of Cornelius on a flat roof. <laughs> he went up there to pray. These people went up there to offer incense to, a, to false gods. The result of this chapter now in verses 14 and 15 it says that Jeremiah came from Tophet came from the fireplace where the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house and he said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on this city and on all her towns all the doom that I pronounced against it because they have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words. So what is it that Jeremiah does? Jeremiah now goes back up into the city, goes into the temple, and there he re- he re-speaks his sermon. Goes to his whole sermon with all the people that are there. Now we can only imagine how angry the elders were who were accompanying Jeremiah to the Valley of Tophet, because these leaders had, had endorsed that peace message of the false prophets and backed up the political wrangling of the civil leaders who had hoped to get help from Judah's ungodly allies. You know, God would tell his people, don't make alliances with the ungodly, but they did anyway. But then Jeremiah did something to anger them even more. <laughs> And that was verses 14 and 15. He went to the temple, preached the message again, this time to all the people. And his courage, again, I think needs to be noted. His courage before these ungodly leaders was certainly due to one thing. It was due to this. Before he would ever break a flask under the instruction of the Lord in obedience, before he would ever break a flask, Jeremiah revealed by his life and by his testimony that he was a broken man before the Lord. He was a broken man before God. He trusted in God's promises to help him. Even though this event would lead to unexpected pain and even to humiliation for Jeremiah. It would lead to his questioning of God as we shall see in the next chapter. But we shall also see that Jeremiah was a broken and upright man before the Lord. He was a broken man. And he was a humble man. The only prophets that are not humble are false prophets. And I hate to say it, but too often we can look on to 
any number of so-called Christian TV, pro, uh, TV channels and see people that have no humility whatsoever before God. And it saddens me that people will follow that and not God's Word. Let me close by pointing you to the brokenness of the heart that we all need to experience on a daily basis. And by the way, brokenness is not, is not losing joy. We are to be joyful in the Lord. Why? Because in Nehemiah 8 verse 10 it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We as Christians should have great joy in the Lord. We should rejoice as we did tonight in giving praise and thanksgiving to God. But we need to be broken people. Psalm 34, verses 18 through 22, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Jeremiah is going to learn that lesson. He thought that he had been forsaken by God and deceived by God. God just said, hey, I'm with you. You're still alive, aren't you? You're still breathing, aren't you? That's the PCV. That's the Pastor Charlie version. We'll get to the right one next week. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the souls of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. So it doesn't matter what happens to the body. If we're right with God, we will not be condemned. That's something good to know, isn't it? Psalm 51, verse 17, in that great psalm of David's repentance before God for his great sin before God, he said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God will never despise a broken spirit and a broken heart. And Isaiah 66, verse 2, I'll close with this. For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. We don't have people, enough people who call themselves Christians trembling at the word of God today. And that's what saddens me about what we see as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching. I can tell you this. Each and every one of us in this room is blessed. God has blessed us, man, beyond our understanding. None of us, unless we want to, none of us misses what we need for this life. Unless we want to put aside a meal, we only have all of our meals. And some will even boast, hey, man, I pray three times a day. Yeah, yeah, lunch, breakfast, breakfast, lunch, and supper. It's not something to boast in, but you know the fact of the matter is it's okay. The fact is we don't, we don't miss out on the blessings that God wants to give us. 
But we need to be we need to be awake and aware to the fact that we are living in in perilous times, dangerous times, and we have the answer to the problems of this world. We have the answer in one person, Jesus Christ. We have the answer in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. We have the answer. We need to stand firm on our testimony for Jesus Christ. Oh, may it not be that anyone would have to go through any kind of suffering like we've read about today because they have chosen to forsake the Lord or to act as if, you know, nothing's wrong. We can still bring our sacrifices to the temple. We offer them every week as we do. And yet for the rest of the week, we offer sacrifices to idols. (laughs) See, that was what happened. They were not only hypocrites, but they were the very ones who would perform the acts that you read about in Hebrews 11. When the prophets of God and the mouthpieces of God were tortured and stoned and sawn in two and afflicted beyond measure. So, may we be desirous of everything that God has for us that is good, that is holy, that is right, that is just, and that is true. And let's never forget God's truth from Genesis to Revelation. God's truth. Learn it, read it, study it, and keep doing it. Because Jesus can come at any moment. Well, right now would be good. Right now would be great. Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now would be good, Lord. (laughs) But if not, we have the hope of the ages. Let's take it. Let's give it forth.